This episode is sponsored by visitfortwayne.com. Are you ready to take your family history research to the next level? Consider planning a trip to the Genealogy Center at Allen County Public Library. Located in Fort Wayne, Indiana, the Genealogy Center is the second largest center in the nation and one of the best places to research family histories due to its free, extensive collection, services, and database access. The Genealogy Center has more than one million physical items, and the trained genealogists all have unique specialties and are available to help everyone find success for free. Use the services and materials at the Genealogy Center in Fort Wayne, Indiana to take your family history research to the next level. Plan your trip and book an appointment at visitfortwayne.com genealogy. Welcome to the September 2023 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. I'm Lisa Louise Cook. In this episode, we're going to take a look at some of the things that you need to know if you want to be successful in Italian research. Then in our Family History Home segment, we are going to talk about some techniques for deciphering some of that difficult to read handwriting of your ancestors. And we will wrap things up over at the editor's desk with Family Tree Magazine's digital editor, Molina Papadopoulos, and she's got some great new free resources for heritage-focused research. As always, there's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Of course, first up is Tree Talk. All right, well, Rachel Christian, the social media editor at Family Tree Magazine, is here to give us our monthly update on the latest happenings in the world of genealogy. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. So glad you're here. What's going on uh, this month? In the month of September, as our readers might know, it is Hispanic Heritage Month. But what's unique about Hispanic Heritage Month is that it actually begins on the 15th, uh, and it lasts until October 15th. So I thought I would just give our audience a little trivia about why that is. Uh, You know, why not just the month of September or the month of October? Uh, And the reason is that in 1968, the first Hispanic Heritage Week was established. And the week of the 15th includes the Independence Day celebrations of eight uh, Hispanic and Latin American countries including Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and more. So that week was later expanded into a month. So that's why uh, it begins right in the middle of the month. And our readers might say, well, what about Cinco de Mayo? And Cinco de Mayo is actually not Mexican Independence Day. Uh, Mexican Independence Day is in September. Cinco de Mayo, rather, uh, is the, it commemorates a significant battle that happened in Mexico's history. So contrary to popular belief, it is not uh, Mexican Independence Day. So uh, if our readers have Hispanic heritage, it's a great month uh, to dig more into that. It's worth paying attention to heritage months because different libraries and archives, different institutions will often have free events where you can learn more. Uh, Many of those events are free or online or both. So we will have some links in the show notes to the events pages. So you can see what the Smithsonian is up to, what the Library of Congress is up to, uh, and browse events there. 
here at Family Tree Magazine, we also have um, some articles coming down the pipeline about doing research in Spanish language records. So if that's of interest to our readers, we'll have those links in the show notes as well. Great. All right. Well, there you go. We'll uh, have everything in the show notes. And I, I've noticed that uh, Family Search has had a lot of new Hispanic records coming on line as well. So great time to research. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thanks, Lisa. Have a good month. At FamilyTreeMagazine.com, you're going to find a lot of terrific resources. And one of them is on researching your Italian genealogy. Melanie D. Holtz wrote a comprehensive article. It's one of our premium articles. And I want to share with you some of the highlights from this article and just kind of give you a taste of the kinds of things that you can learn. And most importantly, if you have Italian ancestors, how to start finding them. Here's what Melanie says about how to find your Italian origins. The largest wave of Italian immigration to America occurred between 1876 and 1930. That is when nearly 5 million Italians entered through American ports. Poverty often motivated an Italian's decision to immigrate. Most immigrants were from southern Italy and Sicily, which tended to be the poorest areas of the country. Most immigrants came from Sicily's Palermo province than from any other province on the island. Some immigrants never intended to make the United States their permanent home, immigrating seasonally to earn money to take back to Italy. Some worked as sailors to earn their passage, keeping more money in their pockets when they arrived home. And these, quote, birds of passage, unquote, and their trails often lead to multiple U.S. and Italian ports and cities, placing them amongst the hardest Italians to track. So what were some of the common Italian ports? The ports of Genoa and Naples were the most common Italian ports of embarkation. Some ships stopped first in Palermo to pick up passengers before moving up the coast to Naples, where they loaded the majority of the passengers and supplies from the transatlantic journey. Occasionally, you'll see northern Italian families leaving from Le Havre, France. The port that an ancestor left from was usually the closest major port. Therefore, it can provide a valuable clue to his Italian town of origin. Italians often settled in large communities in U.S. cities such as New York City, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Chicago, and New Orleans. Each of these cities had an area that became known as Little Italy, often with those from a particular town or province living in close proximity to each other. Now, the key to finding your Italian ancestors is knowing what town they came from. And this is because the town or parish created nearly all of the useful records. So finding those records is difficult if you don't know that information. Therefore, finding that information is an important first step. Melanie goes on to write that you need to start your search with your U.S. family's records. Interview your oldest living relatives. Dig in the attic for old documents inherited from your Italian ancestors. Often you can find the town of origin noted in family papers or on the backs of old photos. Some Italian immigrants even kept their military discharge papers, passports, or Italian identification booklets, all of which can provide clues to their origins. To help narrow the choices of ancestral towns, use the Comuni Italiani website. You'll find that at comuni-italiani.it. 
Let's say that your ancestor's immigration manifest says that he was born in Polizzi, and the ship he sailed on left from Palermo. On Comuni Italiani, you can search for all towns beginning with or named Polizzi, P-O-L-I-Z-Z-I. The only possibility is Polizzi Generoso, a town in the Palermo province of Sicily. However, keep in mind that sometimes you'll find multiple towns starting with a certain name. Take, for example, Santo Stefano. At least eight towns in Italy begin with these two names. Knowing that the immigrant departed from Genoa could help to narrow the list of towns in which to begin your search. Now, in the show notes for this episode, I'm going to have a link over to this premium article by Melanie D. Holtz. And in it, you'll find she has a whole section on unpuzzling Italian places. There she gives you details on the towns and cities, provinces, regions, and some tips. Like, just like we have cities, counties, and states in the United States, Italy also has civil jurisdictions. And uh, those are the town, the province, and the region. And then she gets into the religious jurisdictions. You're going to be looking for parishes and the diocese. And so what are we looking for? Well, we're looking for Italian civil records and Italian vital records and church records. When it comes to the civil records, Melanie spells out the uh, Italian civil records Italy doesn't have a single archive that's comparable to something like the U.S. National Archives and Records Administration. So that means that genealogical records are most accessible at the provincial or the town level. So birth, marriage, and death records are some of the most useful for Italian research. And Italian archives categorize civil registrations into three different groups, depending on location and or time period. So there's the Napoleonic civil records. Those were kept between 1804 and 1815. Many areas of northern Italy ceased civil registration in 1815, and they didn't begin again until 1866. There's also restoration civil records. Uh, They were mainly kept in the area known as the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies between 1809, 1820 in Sicily, to 1865. And then the Italian civil records, which generally encompass all civil registrations after 1866 or the unification of Italy. Two sets of civil records were created at the time of birth, marriage, or death. One set is held in the town hall, where you would generally find them in the civil records office. The registry office, which contains town and federal census records, but accessing those records is difficult. They're available only when researching on-site. And in smaller towns, some of these um, offices may be combined. So most Italian town halls have websites where you can find the address of the civil records office to request records. And then when it comes to Italian vital records, we're looking for um, the second set of civil records that was sent to the district court. Uh, the tribunal, at the end of each year. They're held for 70 years, at which time they're transferred to the provincial or state archives. For privacy reasons, Italy restricts civil records access to 70 years after the creation of the record. And here's the following types of records that Melanie mentions in her article. These are civil records you're going to want to look for. Birth records, marriage records, death records, and other civil records. 
She mentioned something called the historical state of the family certificate records, the vital statistics of a whole family. The certificate is a compiled record, meaning it was created from other records at the time of the request. Town population registers or schedules were often used to compile these documents. And these are usually in town archives, but they may also be at the provincial archive. A certificate of family status is a residency certificate providing details about a person's residence in a certain town. Italian consulates often request this document when a person seeks dual Italian-American citizenship. The certificates are typically available from the town registry office. And there are many more. So again, check out Melanie's article. She'll tell you about Italian marriage records, church records, Italian military records, and a lot more about accessing Italian records on some of your favorite websites like FamilySearch.org, which is free. There's Ancestry.com. And also some really important tips about how to request records and the language barrier. So check it out. The article is terrific. You will find it. It's called Researching Your Italian Genealogy by Melanie D. Holtz. I'll have the link in the show notes for you. And I hope if you have Italian ancestors, you'll head over to our Facebook page uh, for Family Tree Magazine and let us know if you used any of these tips and what you found in your Italian research. Getting correct information from a document requires being able to read it correctly. And that's not always easy with handwritten documents. So I've invited handwriting expert Colleen Stutz to the podcast to help us make sure that we are interpreting what we are reading correctly. Hi, Colleen. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Doing great. Uh, happy to have you here. I, I saw that you did a, a terrific webinar for Family Tree Magazine called how to become a handwriting expert in no time. And that's pretty encouraging, <laughs> considering that a lot of our ancestors' handwriting can be kind of challenging. Um, what are some of the, the biggest challenges that, that you've run into and that your students tell you about? Yeah, I definitely have um, a lot of people that come to me really frustrated because they can't read journals or letters or even documents such as land records or wills. And it, it gets really frustrating, not only because maybe the handwriting style is an older style, but because everybody has their own nuances when they write. So it's really tricky because, you know, two people can learn the same handwriting style or um, cursive or print or whatever, but they're always going to have their own little spin on it. And that just really kind of throws a wrench into being able to read some of these documents easily. Exactly. Well, and you mentioned the style. As genealogists, of course, we're seeing documents from all different eras. Do, do you find that the handwriting style itself can help you kind of date the document and determine its time frame? Absolutely. Um, there's a few different handwriting styles that we cover in this webinar that are kind of the most common that genealogists or people who are interested in family history are going to come across. And the oldest one we touch on is called Secretary Hand. And it was created as a more universal writing style after Court Hand, which was used in the Middle Ages. So this time period was about 1485 through 1700s. And so if you 
see anything written in pure secretary hand, you know that that's going to be the time frame you're looking at. So that's going to be England and the English colonies. So we're really focusing on, um, you know, early colonial records in the United States. Um, the second style that we cover is called copper plate round hand. This one is much easier to read. It is much more like our current alphabet letters that we use when we write. Secretary hand is not very close at all. <laughs> it's almost like reading a different language. Um, so secretary hand really trips people up. Copper plate round hand is a lot easier, but still has some uh, variations in there that make it difficult to read. And this one was used between the 1600s and 1800s in Europe and the English colonies. But we do see it in the Declaration of Independence and Constitution. Today's diplomas still use it. But it does have some tricky letters that are different than what we're used to that, that can make it difficult. After that is Spencerian script, which was used 1850s to 1920s-ish. And that one is, you know, morphed even more from copper plate round hand. And it's, you know, the cursive writing, much more like what we're used to. And then uh, the last one is Palmer, which was developed in the 1870s, which was developed for business and used through today. So most of us learned Palmer in elementary school. Of course, now they're not teaching cursive anymore in schools, but this is uh, the alphabet that we're used to using now. Yeah, it's so interesting that handwriting would change, that the way it's taught would change. I know when I look at the documents of my my grandparents' era, there's a lot of similarities. You can tell that the, the teachers are all kind of doing the same thing. And, and as you said, now they're not even teaching cursive writing. Yeah, it really is a tragedy. Um, it makes me worried that in 100 years, no one's going to be able to read these documents that... yes are only handwritten from the past, you know? So it might become a very specialized industry to even be able to read handwritten documents. Yeah, well, that's why it's so important what, what you're teaching, you know, folks about how to, to do this because we definitely don't want to lose access to the information that's in that handwriting. Um, I imagine over the years, you've probably developed some strategies. What are some of your favorite strategies when, when you first look at a document, you think, oh my gosh, where am I going to begin with this? How do you kind of uh, tease it apart and settle into the document and really understand what it says? Yeah, that's a great question. There's a few key points that I really love to focus on for me and when I help my clients. Um, the first one is to identify the time period which helps you know what the handwriting style is, as well as the type of document you're looking at. So you know what words to expect. So you can pull out familiar words that you're looking for. For example, if it's a census record, we know we're going to find names and uh, ages, places, occupations. So we can kind of look for some of the familiar words that we're expecting to see and start getting used to the handwriting style based on the words we do know, and then start comparing some of those letters throughout the document. Um, and then the other one is to keep things in context. I feel like, you know, context really helps us to decipher in so many different ways. I get lots of people sending me handwriting samples of one word, and they say, can you help me figure out what this word says? And 
my answer every time is no, I can't. I need to see the entire document so I can compare Mm -hmm. the letters because one letter may be something totally different between one person and another person. So um, keeping it in context and being able to compare to the document, but also knowing you know, what kind of document we're looking at, what was the time period, what was the area we're looking at. Um, those are really my main focuses. That's a really good point, you know, <laughs> that it letters aren't standalone. They are in the context of the full body of the text. And sometimes I've noticed that I can decipher one letter over here, but I didn't recognize it over there. And just if I circle it and start looking for something that looks a lot like it, you know, it's interesting how that can over time, it's like your brain acclimates to the writing. Do you think that's somewhat the case? Absolutely. I, a lot of my clients, I tell them, you know, this is kind of like Shakespeare, right? When we read Shakespeare in school, the first act, your brain is just lost. You have no idea what you're listening to. But by (laughs) the second act, your brain starts figuring it out and it kind of clicks. And all of a sudden you can follow what's going on in the play. And that's really, you know, what we're doing with handwriting is spending time with it, letting your brain start deciphering it like it's a different language for sure. Mm-hmm. So in addition to just some of the things we can do in looking at the document and taking time with it, do you, do you have a special resources or tools that you kind of lean on? Like we see a lot of abbreviations or we see, um, you know, markings and we think, oh, I don't even know what, where to begin with that. Are there some tools you can turn to? Absolutely. There's some really great tools. Um, one of the tools that I really love is Family Search. Um, FamilySearch.org has a lot of great resources. They have a wiki on there, and you can type anything in there from place names to handwriting styles to, um, you know, lots of different resources that way so that, you know, you could type in probate record and find out all the terms that you might find in a probate record like you brought up abbreviations that maybe you wouldn't know. The other one is actually also on Family Search, and that one is the Learning Center, and it has handwriting tutorials for different handwriting styles, including other languages, such as the German handwriting style of current, which is really difficult <laughs> to learn. It really is like a different language. Um, yeah. and, and the tutorials are great on there, they're self-paced, pre-recorded. They have little games where you can, you know, match up the letters to what you think they are. Um, and then they also have lots of handwriting guides where they print. You can print out the the handwriting style for every alphabet letter and compare it to our current alphabet. Um, so I I can give you the link and maybe you can share that in the show notes. Yes, absolutely. Those sound terrific. Uh, gosh, I, now I know uh, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and you were talking, it says here that you're a family history coach. So before I let you go, tell people about what you do and where they can find you. Yeah, thank you. Um, I am a family history coach and I kind of created this niche. It doesn't really exist as a profession um, in my industry. Normally, genealogists will research for clients. And I found that I actually really love people and FaceTime with people. And so I decided to coach my clients to research their own ancestors. So we meet over Zoom during an appointment and we tailor the appointment towards what they want to learn. So we can research 
their ancestors together, or I have some clients who are well-versed in genealogy research, but they're just stuck on a brick wall. And so we'll meet together and look at what resources might exist that they haven't found yet. And then they can kind of go and do some homework and try to figure it out and they'll come back and we'll talk through it and, and talk about where else they can look. Um, so I just, I help people in real time and we, we research their ancestors in real time. It's so fun. I absolutely love it. Oh, it sounds terrific. And it looks like what your website is callingstuts.com. That's correct. Yep. Excellent. Okay. And everybody, as Colleen mentioned, she's got some tools for us. So we're going to put links in the uh, podcast show notes for you. Be sure to go to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to get that. And uh, the video of her webinar that she did um, about how to decipher handwriting, uh, this how to become an expert at this, that video is also over at familytreemagazine.com in the shop. And we will have that link as well in the show notes. Colleen, great to talk to you. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise on handwriting. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun to talk about this. Well, it's time to stop by the editor's desk, and today we're talking to Family Tree Magazine's digital editor, Melina Papadopoulos. Hi, Melina. Hi, Lisa. Hey, last time you, we talked, you told us uh, about a lot of free resources that are available over at the FamilyTreeMagazine.com website. So I'd be really interested to know, what do you have for us in terms of heritage-focused research resources? Yeah, of course. So at Family Tree Magazine, um, we really understand how exciting it is to learn more about your ancestors and the places they come from, whether that's somewhere else in the world, across the pond, or if, even if that's just here in the U.S. And that's why I have been particularly focused these last several months on curating our heritage-specific content and building pages that focus on those areas of the specific areas of the world so that our readers can easily find uh, find those specific places they may be looking for and find articles related to finding records, researching specific ancestors, gathering uh, re- relevant information from records, and so on. So to begin, um, in fr- uh, last month, for example, I built our French genealogy landing page where I curated several articles related to researching French ancestors, finding specific websites and navigating them, like, for example, the very popular GeniaNet, and where to find specific uh, archives and things of that nature and how to navigate them. And I also, similarly to that, similar to that, have been focusing on our Italian genealogy page, which has a very similar focus and similar format, where um, the focus is tips for finding Italian ancestors, finding uh, at finding records and how to read them, and so on. You can also easily find some of our downloads on those landing pages that are relevant. For example, on our French genealogy landing page, I know uh, I put the our guide on um, reading French records and um, looking at specific terms you might find if you're not familiar with the French language. You can look at our um, download and. Um, our download of terms so that you um, can easily come back to those as needed. Um, and in addition to that, I also have recently worked on um, our Canadian genealogy page, uh, 
which offers kind of the same idea, um, immigration records and links to uh, popular articles we have on our website. I also really like that this guide we have on that page, that which I was make, which I was sure to highlight, which is the Canadian provinces download, which is a great tool if you're looking to um, research specific Canadian ancestors or Canadian French ancestors. You really need a, um, a refresher of different provinces. Uh, that's a great tool to have. Uh, I will definitely include all these links in uh, the show notes. But if you ever want anyone who ever wants to look at our heritage pages. You can easily navigate those just by looking to explore by place on our menu on our website or by DNA and heritage on our site menu. And you will you can choose a place. Um, it'll have, for example, we have the French, French, Italian, United States, Canada, and you can just choose that whatever place you'd like to explore. And for the most part, a lot of them have been built up recently so that um, you can easily explore by topic. For example, if you just want tips for finding specific ancestors from a specific place, or if you're looking for something more granular, like uh, how to explore a specific site or something of that nature. So I really hope that our readers find these tools valuable, especially as they go deeper into their genealogy research, where they're looking to explore more place-specific information about their ancestors and I hope that they find these tools useful in doing that. Yeah, I'm sure they will. I mean, it, you have such a vast collection of content that you've built up over the years and to see it all organized like this by place is really handy. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Melina, for stopping by. You've always got great resources for us. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining me for this September episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. This is the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'll have links to everything we've talked about today on the show over at the show notes page. You can find our show notes at familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. And there you'll find a huge back catalog of past episodes full of topics that will help you in your genealogy research. When you stop by the website, be sure to sign up for our free newsletter. That's the perfect way to stay in touch with Family Tree Magazine and get all the latest and greatest news, plus the announcements of each and every new podcast episode. I am Lisa Louise Cook, and I hope that you'll come by and visit my website at genealogygems.com. There you will find the Genealogy Gems podcast and a link over to our Genealogy Gems YouTube channel. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. (laughs) 